Welcome to Street Knowledge with Chris Graham. Welcome to the podcast, Chris Graham. And I've got Scott German here with me. We're going to talk a lot of things, baseball, basketball, uh, probably some NIL stuff. Uh, Scott, um, I'm not going to say what th- this weekend is going to be a big weekend um, uh, in, in UVA basketball uh, circles uh, with the tribute uh, to late coach Terry Holland on Saturday at JPJ. Scott's going to be there. And lots and lots of folks are going to be there coming in to honor Coach Holland and and Scott. Uh, it, it's going to be a, a. I mean, from what I've seen, it's a who's who. Um, no pun intended, but I guess it's appropriate of uh, of UVA basketball and actually just not just UVA basketball. John Calipari is supposed to be a speaker. Seth Greenberg will be there among others. Um, uh, really nice to see the the people coming out to to, to honor tribute uh, Coach Holland. Yeah, and I don't think there's any surprise that, that that it is going to be a who's who because Coach Holland was such a well-respected um, coach in, in college basketball, even though he hasn't been on the sidelines in, what, 30 years? Yeah, yeah. So that kind of tells you the respect he had to be, to be away from the game or at least away from coaching for 30 years. He was still involved with athletics with his with his responsibilities as AD, but – yeah, Chris, it's it's. Um, I'm glad they're having it now. I wish they could have found out found a way to have it a little earlier because now I think we can finally pay our tribute, pay our respect, and say goodbye to just a true true gentleman. You covered Coach Holland for a number of years. Uh, what are some of your favorite memories of of Terry Holland? Well, he wasn't the choir boy on the sidelines that a lot of people think. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, uh, you know, we had good seats at, at at University Hall, as you well know. We weren't up in the uh, lower deck uh, with the with the paying folks. We were right on the floor, right. across the across the floor, but still well within earshot. <laughs> and um, and you know that as as a young person just getting the opportunity to cover Coach Holland in uh, I think nineteen eighty. And having never been that close to the actual action or behind the curtain, so you so to speak, uh-huh. to to hear some of the things coming from his mouth was quite the shock. <laughs> it was it was uh, it was. Uh, now I won't put him. I won't lump him into the to the category of the of the Gary Williams of Maryland or certainly Mike Shashesky, but he was no choir boy. Believe me. He had a great sense of humor. He would dress up in a gorilla costume and scare kids every so often, scare basketball players sometimes, sometimes football players every so often. Um, so he, uh, one one person uh, that we had, Jerry Ratcliffe and I had on a, on a podcast uh, right after Coach Holland died back in February, that he kind of reminded, you know, maybe a little bit of Eddie Haskell in there, you know, um, uh, as well. But of course, Coach Holland, man, you know, you were you you were uh, a young man, uh, and and it's, uh, you were there on the scene of the 1976 ACC tournament, uh, and got to see that in person. That memorable run by that Virginia team uh, early in Terry's tenure at Virginia, uh, where they they upset three top twenty teams to win the ACC tournament first time in school history. Uh, what do you remember from that? Well, I didn't. I wasn't credentialed. I was just a, just a fan, but I was certainly a fan that was on the floor <laughs> celebrating um, and listening to him um, accept the championship trophy on the floor of the old Capitol Center. Uh, you know, he just reeked with class, and and 
you know, then when I did uh, start working with, with the sports and the media and did get to go and get credentialed. Um, the thing I remember most about Coach Holland and how I relate and can, can do an analogy from Coach Holland to Coach Bennett is I remember the, the most important things I remember from Coach Holland came in defeats. Mm-hmm. Um, the Final Four loss in Philadelphia. Um, he was just truly such a humble, humble man in the post-game press conference, uh, a la Tony Bennett after the UMBC loss. Mm-hmm. Um, the the loss um, uh, to um, – in the ACC champion, a couple of ACC championship games. I, I, I think his legacy was defined more in how he handled himself in defeat than how he handled himself – in 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 winning <clears throat> he said he reeked with class at that acc tournament when he was given the speech uh, after winning the, the, yes. the trophy uh according to wally walker he reeked with something else he was also known for being very superstitious and uh <laughs> he uh so uh, things like uh, if he's wearing a certain suit uh and and that that a building in landover was was pretty warm i understand uh, he wore the same suit three straight days because he he just he just couldn't get over the superstition of not doing so. So Wally Walker mentioned that uh, when we talked with him a couple of months ago about Coach Holland. So some fun stuff there. Um, you'll be I'm there. Sure, I'm sure Wally and and some of the coach, some of the players that are going to be there tomorrow. I've heard that there is going to be a who's who among former UVA players that played. They not not just played for Coach Holland, but some of these players that are coming back played for played for Jeff Jones, played for Pete Gillen. Um, it, it just kind of, you know, Seth Greenberg uh, is going to, I think, be the one of the one yeah. of the MCs for the event, maybe. Yeah, and Seth, of course, Seth was, of course, a, a assistant under under Coach Allen. Yeah, uh, Coach Larry Nager. I'm still trying to figure the Calipero connection. Yeah, I, I don't know that one either. We'll we'll probably I'll get you'll find out on we'll find out on Saturday. I, I don't I have not found a very connection. I, I, I don't often see. I mean, maybe we're wrong on this. We can we'll talk about it maybe later with NIL, but this you just. I don't often hear the names of Holland, Bennett, Calipero. They just those don't really go together. Yeah, uh, yeah. You think of you think of Calipero in, in a in a different light. Yeah, I've not I've not figured that one out either. But uh, hey, I'm, I'm just glad that he's he's going to be there for that. Uh, let's see. I'm trying to f- see real quick. Um, Calipari played at UNC Wilmington. Uh, he was an assistant at Kansas. He was at Pittsburgh. Yep, don't see. Don't see any direct things there relating him to Terry Holland. So we'll just have to find out what uh, impact Terry Holland had on him uh, when he gets up and speaks on Saturday. Uh, I'm certain there's a connection. Yeah, there's something there. There's something there, no doubt. Um, uh, So uh, switching gears a little bit, um, uh, the news, a couple bits of news this week, neither involving Virginia Landing uh, folks they had been going after. Hunter Dickinson announcing today the, the big Michigan transfer, Northern Virginia native. Um, there was some hope briefly uh, last month that uh, that he uh, there was even word that maybe he had visited Virginia. Um, a 7-1 center from from Michigan who averaged 18 points, nine rebounds, shot 42 percent from three. 
he's he's going to Kansas, and uh, we knew all along, Scott, that uh, the, the deal was going to be about NIL money for him, and uh, we, we nothing official yet with with Kansas, but uh, among those bowing out early were uh, you know Virginia, obviously Kentucky. Kentucky doesn't play the the NIL inducement game either, like Virginia. So uh, Dickinson is on his way to Kansas, and uh, we can close the door as far as that goes. Yeah, and I don't think that was a, like you said. I don't, I don't think that was a big shock. Um, yeah. So since you did, since you did open the door with NIL, and and we talk about playing playing the game. Uh-huh. The longer this thing is around, the 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 worse the stench gets from it, in my opinion. What what where is this going to lead? It's I don't know. I mean, it's not going anywhere. It's it's you know the only the only direction this goes is that schools end up actually paying players' salaries. It's not and I players have a right to their uh, to make money uh, from their likeness, and so. Um, you know, the NCAA could maybe work with, and, and they're trying to put the onus on Congress to um, put federal laws down so that it's at least standard across all 50 states and, and thus equal for, for everybody uh, to play the game. But, um, you know, this is just endorsement money. So uh, I think the only way this goes any different is when, if and when somebody in the NCAA, if, if the student athletes maybe get together uh, and, uh, either file a suit class action suit or or just threaten to do so and get the ncaa to agree that the member schools have to actually pay a salary that's the only thing different i I foresee in the future and and that that might in itself be the way the that the ncaa and the the member institutions get get back get control back well because what that would do if you're paying a salary then um ostensibly you would have a, a a player student athlete under contract and as long as it's not just a one-year contract, yeah, you can't just transfer every year if you're under a, a contract. So, um, yeah, but as it is right now, though, um, you know, men and women who are who are college athletes, uh, uh, you know, they have the ability with with without a contract tying them there for longer than one year, they're free agents every year. So, and, and they're and credit to them, they're playing. The, the kids are playing the game and and maximizing their potential to make money. Yeah, and and it's it's worse than NBA free agency because in the NBA you generally have players under contract for more than one year. Yeah, the 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 players, uh, for example, NBA, any sport really, uh, any professional sport, the players, except the, the the players who are only under one year deals tend to be the players who are maybe not the most valuable players. I mean, you know, they're the relief pitcher, you know, lefty lefty guy who pitches the seventh inning, that kind of thing. Um, and, and they're the ones who, who go from year to year. But, uh, uh, yeah, the, the, the players who are more valuable um, are locked up into long-term multi-year deals. And you, you, I think you would see that with, with uh, of the eventual NCAA contracts. You would see uh, a, a four-star recruit maybe get a two-year two deal. A five-star recruit could get a three- or four-year deal, something like that. Uh, and then you'd see less movement. But as it is now, if you're Hunter Dickinson, as an example, he's not the only one, but he was the most attractive transfer on the portal this uh, this spring. Uh, boy, you know, you just decide to leave, and <laughs> it's a bidding war at that stage. Yeah, and if you want to go back and, and use an analogy to MLB or, or any professional sport, you you kind of re- – and you can see it. If you look at the rosters, you can see um, 
players at their contract status. And a lot of them are under one-year deals. And they go from team to team to team, and they're referred to as journeymen. Yeah. Uh, is that where this is going? Is that we're going to see players that before they run out of eligibility, I'm not going to use the word graduate because I, I doubt that that's going to ever happen, but before their eligibility expires, are they going to go from – playing for two teams to maybe three teams, four teams, become journeymen. Why not? I mean, if – if now, the bulk of players who are making moves aren't making moves because of NIL. Uh, the bulk of players who are making moves, uh, who put their names in a transfer portal, uh, are looking for opportunities to play more. Uh, you know, you might be a backup quarterback somewhere and you lose out on the, the starting job, or at least you think you lost out on the starting job in the spring. And you decide, I want to enter the transfer portal and see if I can find a place where I can start next next fall. Um, you're a you're a, I mean, you're like the kid, the couple of kids Virginia got, uh, Andrew Rohde and, and Jordan Minor. You, you're playing at a you know mid major or or even less than mid major conference, and you're you're really good. I mean, both those guys average 17 points a game for their schools. And you say, I think I can play in an ACC school. I think I can play in Virginia. Let's see if I can you know get out there and do that. And so. You take a risk on yourself and you throw your name out there. There, you, you can. It, it's a risk. You know, you might not find a suitor that's any better. I, I look at the transfer portal several times a day, both in football and basketball, and there are certainly guys like Rhodey and Miner who make moves from small conference teams to uh, Virginia, which is a great move. There are some guys who go from SEC, ACC, Big Ten schools, and they go a, a couple steps backwards because they put their names out there and there's no takers and. You know, the place that they played at before says, nope, you, you decided to leave. We're letting you go. And so it's it's a gamble. Uh, but um, I have no problem with that. If, uh, you know, it's it's it is what it is. It's the marketplace now. So we talked a little off the air. Um, and we kind of put the brakes on it. So I think we could discuss it on air. Um, I think. We're both in agreement that it's becoming clear that not all the blue bloods are playing the NIL game. Do you do you think? I mean, I, I don't. I see some schools that are just kind of saying that nah, we're not we're not getting involved in that. Well, in the Hunter Dickinson sweepstakes, for example, uh, you know, uh, a, a Kentucky beat writer noted yesterday that uh, before he, you know, before Dickinson committed to to Kansas, that Kentucky was likely out of the game because Kentucky uh, has a policy. We we will. Um, we will not offer or, or even coordinate anything um, with with our NIL people until you're here. Um, so there's no guarantee of what you might get. What, what Kentucky says that they tell uh, prospective student athletes who may think about going there is uh, look at what other guys are getting and assume that you'll fit in somewhere where they're what they're getting. If you're Hunter Dickinson, though, I mean, you 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 want a guaranteed deal, well, you know. He, he's a guy who could go play uh, in Europe. He, he's a guy that probably doesn't get drafted uh, in the NBA, but he's a guy that I would expect would get a two-way deal. And so that's worth about $500,000. And I think in Europe, he'd be around four or $500,000. So if you're going to stay for another year of college, you want at least $500,000. And so, um, you know, I, I guess we have to presume he's committing to Kansas and Kansas has made sure he'll get at least $500,000. <laughs> well, it'll be interesting to see how that plays out. Yeah, and, and the the um, uh, uh, Bay, Amando Baycott at Carolina, um, that's his most 
lucrative financial option right now. Oh no, turn just, to Carolina. Just like Hunter Dickinson, he's not gonna he's not gonna be an NBA guy guaranteed. If at best he's a two way guy who maybe plays his way in after getting a two way contract. But UVA's we got some guys on two way deals. Ty Jerome is an example of that. Uh, Mommy Diakite is an example of that. You get five hundred thousand dollars. A Ty is in the league now. He's this is his fourth year in the league, and he's still making that two way deal money. So um, Kyle Guy was on a two way deal for a couple of years, Sacramento and then Miami. Um, he decided to go to Europe and play this year. So that tells you that, you know, the, the money's not great. You know, it's, it's, it's $500,000. It sounds great to the average person, but when this is, this is your career, this is what you're, this, this is your one chance to make that kind of money. $500,000 in the face of DeAndre Hunter is going to make $23 million next year. It's a big difference there. So, um, no, yeah, Baycott is not—he's not guaranteed anything as far as that goes. So he's—he—he's he's reportedly getting close to a million dollars from Carolina. That's probably double what he's going to make in in pro ball. And so good for him. He's—he's—he's he's, he's coming back, and there's no surprise that he's coming back. Yeah, he—he he, his options were were a little limited. And you're right, th- that money sounds good, Chris, but there's 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 agents to pay, there's taxes to pay, and there's—it's not like you just walked out of school with a with a really great degree and a great field where, you know, you can apply your trade for the next 40 years. That's right. That's right. The, yep. These guys are, uh, are a very, 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 very limited shelf life. Yeah. At best eight, 10 years for most guys. And so. Um, well, and the, and the two way deals, I don't think it's that for them because eventually the, the, the clubs say, mm, He's had a chance. He's shown what he can do. He's reached his limit. We'll start again with a with a player just out of college. Oh, that's why Kyle's in in Spain this year. Right. Yeah. Exactly. Kyle, Kyle Kyle was out of options in two way deals. He was yeah. He was out of and so he's making you know roughly what he make on a two way deal in Spain right now. No, yeah, exactly. Uh, and so I mean, you can still make good money in Europe. Uh, you know that kind of good money, not necessarily NBA good money, but good money in Europe. And you don't play as many games there. And you can play for, you know, how many ever years you want to play and live over in Europe. And then you got to get a real job. So, um, yeah, it's not it's not like you're making that kind of money for 40 years. Like you pointed out, Scott, there's no that, that's that's not the the same thing. So it, it sounds good until. And, and then, yeah, if anybody who's <laughs> I, I had to pay a lot of taxes last year, <laughs> it's, uh, you know, that that money goes away quickly. Um, and so um, no doubt about that. But uh yeah, Dickinson. The other, the other kid I was going to mention is is a guy who was not influenced by NIL. Blue Kane, Virginia was recruiting uh, the former Georgia Tech commit, Blue Kane, a six four shooting guard from the, from Georgia, from the Atlanta area. Uh, he he asked out of his NIL, or excuse me, his NLI, National Letter of Intent, after uh, Georgia Tech uh, fired uh, Josh Pastner. Um, Kane visited a few schools, including Virginia. Ends up going to Georgia, so he's staying in his home state. Um, that's the other news this week for Virginia basketball that they didn't get that the other guy, they didn't get, um, I feel pretty good about the roster for next year though. Um, Scott, I wanted to get your thoughts. We've t- chatted about this. We've texted back and forth about this. My position is after the season ended and Virginia's losing, well, we know Kihei Clark, uh, to, to, you know, end of eligibility, Jaden Gardner to end of eligibility, um, starting point guard, starting, um, uh, power forward. Then Armand Franklin declares for the NBA draft, and he's made it clear he's not coming back no matter what. Um, that's another position you have to, to, to factor in. Then uh, Francisco Cafaro and Caden Shedrick transfer out. 
Um, there were some holes. Uh, I look at, though, Virginia picking up what Dante Adams was already in the house. Uh, he, he, he transferred in from Georgetown back in, uh, back in December. Then the, uh, the pickup of Andrew Rohde, a 6'6 guy who can play point, can play the wing. Uh, Jordan Miner, we mentioned him. He's a 6'8 power forward who can really score under the, under the basket, uh, around the basket. Jacob Groves, a 6'9 guy who kind of looks reminds me of Ben Vanderplas, another key loss from this year's team. Um, I don't know, Scott. I'm looking at what Tony got in the portal and thinking that he, I think each guy might be an upgrade on the guy that he's replacing. We hope, right? I don't hope. I think. I ain't, I ain't, anybody who listens to me or reads me talk about Virginia football – knows that there's no hope in me. It's either yes or no. I'm saying yes. I think that there's I think that there's upgrades across the board there. I, I, the, the thing that concerns me a little bit is that Ben you just mentioned this kid that we com, that you compared to Ben Vanderplot. Um Jacob Groves. Yeah. Uh what how are they going to transition from the current level of play competition to what they're going to face in the ACC. Well, Groves played in the Big 12. I, th- I think he's okay. Okay, but the kid from St. Thomas. St. Thomas? All right. Well, uh, you know, he was under the radar. He scored 17 points a game, averaged 24 points in his last five games. Uh, you know, he, he has to – he has he sinks or swims. But uh, here's what I'd say. There's the kid from Merrimack too, right? Uh, uh, Jordan Minor. Monmouth. Uh, well, no, he's from Merrimack. Merrimack. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so Merrimack is in the conference, the NEC. They were the champions of that conference, but they could not. They, they actually won the regular season and also won the tournament, but they could not play in the NCAA tournament because they're still transitioning from Division Two to Division One. So what that meant was that Fairleigh Dickinson went to the NCAA tournament instead. What did Fairleigh Dickinson do in the NCAA tournament, if you remember? They beat Purdue, right? So um, – I don't think, Scott, that there is the big discrepancy in play that we assume 20 years ago, 30 years ago. Yeah, if you played, uh, you know, in the Northeast Conference, if you played in the Summit League, it was a big difference between those leagues and the, the Power Fives. I don't know. I'm not I'm not seeing it anymore. I'm seeing guys like Ben Vanderplas, like uh, Grant Basili, who transferred from Wright State and put up big numbers at Virginia Tech last year. Um, you're seeing guy. There was the guy who played. Oh, what was his name? The the kid from Radford, um, who went to Louisville for a season and led the ACC in scoring. There's guys who make that jump every year. And Jeff Fife is listening, and Jeff Fife knows his name, and he's saying it right now. Um, as he's listening, as he's walking his, he's walking himself through the neighborhood, and listening to this podcast late at night. Um, Harvick Jones, something like that. Anyway, um, uh. Th- those guys have been making those jumps and playing very well uh, for, for a number of years. I, that's why I have confidence that this is going to work out well for Virginia. Yeah, as far as losing our big guys, Kafaro and Cedric, um, Kafaro obviously had his time. Uh, yeah. yeah. And he, he just couldn't, he just couldn't develop, didn't develop. And he, he reached a plateau. I don't know where it was. Maybe I last think, year. I think he might have plateaued early in his sophomore year. Right, and um, he registered it as a freshman. And no offense to him, he just, yeah, he he never he never got better. And that's okay. He he was what he was. He worked hard, gave hard minutes, dove on the floor, set screens, rebounded. Yeah, not not I love love Kafaro, but yeah, he plateaued. Um, Caden Cedric potential, yeah. What 
Two more years is eligibility. Two more years of eligibility because of the COVID redshirt, right? Right. But we know Coach Bennett. We've had Coach Bennett for how many years? 14? 14 years, yeah. He doesn't just set someone on the end of the bench for no reason. And he did it for not just one year, two straight he did, years. He that, did that, it twice yeah. for two years. Shedrick, uh, Shedrick started this you know, first half of each of the last two seasons. And then, and it, then it wasn't because down. he didn't like the way uh, he dressed. Right, right. There was there was a reason that Caden Cedric sat on the bench with a DNP at the yeah. end of his at the on the stat sheet yeah. for about two months. He had three actual DNPs and he played a hundred. I, I think I did the math: one hundred and seven minutes in the last fourteen games, about eight minutes a game in those last fourteen games after starting the first fifteen games of the season. So, my point is, yeah, he might have a lot of potential, but. What did he do to disrupt, potentially disrupt team chemistry for the guys that were being able to play through difficulties and still getting playing time? Yeah, and we sort of the, uh, you know, some of our, some of our um, McNeely, you know, McNeely, Isaac had a couple of had some games that he didn't shoot well. I mean, obviously, Cedric's demotion to the bench had something to do with something that was happening off the floor that Tony wasn't happy with. So maybe that's not a big loss after all. Maybe and, the chemistry of the team changes. Well, and think about this too, Scott. Uh, Duke was supposedly high on, on his radar and and vice versa. And uh, they're still looking for a seven-footer. He lives he, – he's a native of – his. you know, his family's 30 miles from, from Duke's campus. And Duke Duke passed, and they're still looking for a big guy. So yeah, and, and you can't tell me there's not intel among coaches. Yeah, yeah. So there's a, and they saw him. Cedric up would have been a double victory for Duke. They would have gotten a solved their you know gotten a backup big man. Plus they would have taken him for Virginia. Yeah, but the, the, sort of like then, the McCoy deal was going to be happening at Carolina, right? That's what I was getting ready to say. You know, Justin McCoy thought they were sticking in our face uh, when they got when they got him, and uh, he didn't play much, uh, and he transferred again. He's going to Hawaii now. Smart kid. I mean, hey, got your degree? Spend a year in Hawaii. Let them pay for something. So, but yeah, no, that wouldn't have that wouldn't have done any good for Duke um, uh, if they had gotten some word uh, about some of those off the court issues, perhaps. So. No, I, Virginia, I think, um, you know, with Shedrick and, and Shedrick potential, but he never lived up to it. Kafaro had lived up to his limited potential. Um, you replace those two guys plus Vanderplas with, um, you know, the emerging Ryan Dunn, who played, you know, great in limited action this past year, averaged 12.9 minutes per game. Uh, you get this Jordan Minor kid from Merrimack. Uh, when I look at his uh, his deep dive stats, he is a beast around the, the rim. A uh, big guy with a big body who who's not afraid to mix it up in the post. Um, then you got Blake Buchanan coming in, um, the, the four star from Idaho. Uh, and then the late signee, Anthony Robinson, the three star uh, who had committed to South Florida and at least gives Virginia depth in the front court and, and maybe works his way in and gets some minutes. But uh, hey, you know, if if I, if I'm looking at this, Scott, I'm saying it's Jordan Minor. He's sort of like a you know trade product. If, if you're if you're putting together an NBA roster. Okay. We, we lost Jaden Gardner. We got Jordan minor. I like Jaden Gardner is a jump shooter. Jordan minor is a post guy. I like, I like a post guy over a jump shooter at the power forward position. Um, we had done last year, got done next year. Um, Blake Buchanan and uh, Anthony Robinson, 
over over Kafaro and Shedrick, I'll take those two guys. So feel pretty good about the front court as far as that goes. Yeah, and you know, you also have to think about the player development. And I think Isaac McNeely is going to continue to really he's going to have a bigger scoring role, I believe, next season. Uh, and don't don't sleep on Tane Murray because from what I understand in, in, in reading, uh, there's no one on the roster that works harder than Tane Murray. And um that's got to, you know, I, I really think he's going to have a bigger role next season. Hey, he earned rotation minutes late in the season. And, you know, he he went he went from getting no minutes to getting he, – he played double-digit minutes in the NCAA tournament game. So, yeah, he's going to compete. Um, you know, the roadie kid uh, is a 6'6 guy with point guard skills. Um, he might not need to play much at point guard. Assuming Beekman comes back and then Dante Harris is in the mix, the Georgetown transfer – um, you've got Elijah Gertrude, who's coming off a torn ACL, but a four-star combo guard who was a really high recruit coming out of high school. Uh, and so there's plenty of guys in the backcourt. You know, there's 11 guys competing for probably eight spots in the rotation. This is – and, again, I'm, I'm going to go back to it. I I, I think that the team and, – and, and I know Virginia fans are probably frustrated. Hey, the season ended with a first-round NCAA tournament loss. The Virginia Virginia won a share of the ACC regular season title, spent most of the season in the top 10, a good part of the season in the top five, um, and also got to the ACC tournament final. Yeah, lost the first game in the NCAA tournament, but too many fans are saying, what a disappointing season that was. Virginia won 25 games. Got a, they're going to hang a banner next year, and I think next year's team could be better. So I'm 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 bull, I'm I'm bullish on this Virginia team I had to think of am I bullish or bearish I'm bullish on this Virginia team coming in next year so stock up stock up yes yes uh, and let's not forget Purdue lost an NCAA first round game too yeah and and <laughs> I mean, to a team that was should you know I know we lost to UMBC back a few years ago but we we had an injury and that's an that's not a that's not a good excuse well, no it sounds Purdue, like we're making excuses but but Purdue didn't, didn't have any injury. injuries <laughs> And I think the consensus was UMBC was not really a 16 seed right. team. They were more like a 14th. Yeah, they they were. Uh, and this Fairleigh Dickinson team was a 16 seed. <laughs> they were. Yeah. They, they looked. Were, it. They played the part. They um, were. They were the smallest team that you'll see outside of high school basketball. But great game plan, and they executed it well, and dared Purdue's guards to shoot, and Purdue's guards couldn't make anything to save their lives. Got their yeah. coach a ticket out of town. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Fairly Dickinson's coach. He he spent one year there after a career in D two, and now he's moved up the ladder. And that calls boy, that calls some things. I think the George Mason coach ended up taking no wait. There was a VMI coach who took the Fairly Dickinson job. The Providence job went to someone else. There's been all kinds of movement around. You know, George Mason here in Virginia. George Mason's got a new coach. VCU's got a new coach. Um, there's an assistant coach job open at Virginia that uh, might. Um, it's still open. I think that there's there's it's something to the fact that job's still open. That Tony's Tony's still looking around. He's still got some thoughts out there about what. Yeah, and doing. that's going to be a you know that's that hire, that's not going to be something that or it should it, that position shouldn't be a hire that flies under the radar. Right. Right. Because with the transfer portal, I really believe that a coach needs to have someone on his staff that has been around the block a few times 
someone that's seen other conferences, other styles, worked for other coaches, has other ideas. Knows other people, you know? Has knows other contacts. people. Yeah. And this is not a knock on any anyone on our current staff because I think the world of – I've known Jason Williford. I think Jason is going to be a head coach someday, whether it's in Charlottesville or somewhere. Don't know that, but I believe he will be. I, I, I think he's – Tony's got a great staff. But I think that other – that that – position that is still out there should go to someone that's that's got some connections that's been around that can bring some ideas to the program maybe I don't think it's someone that is just uh I know I've heard that Isaiah Wilkinson may be moved up that's fine but there's still another position there's still NCAA has what did they approve two positions now two additional full-time coaching positions yeah so I there's there's a need there. He's got two veteran voices uh, in the form of Williford. You mentioned Brad Soderberg, um, but I think you know he had those guys. And plus, um, you know Richie McKay, uh, who went who left who, who who left the Liberty job when Tony got the job at Virginia in 2009, and then after a few years he he went back to Liberty and he's done a great job. Richie's done a great job at Liberty um, the last few years, especially they've, they've been a consistent top, uh, you know, winner down in, in, in their conference and they're moving up a conference next year. Uh, but we've been missing that guy like a McKay. And I kind of use the analogy, like Richie McKay was sort of Tony Bennett's, you know, Joe Torrey, when he managed the Yankees had Don Zimmer sitting there beside him and Don Zimmer, he <laughs> looked like he was a hundred years old. Looked like he probably coached against, um, a Casey Stingle. Uh, he, he's I think he did. He probably did. Uh, you know, I'm thinking maybe. Uh, Mag- hey, he got in a fight and held his own against uh, Pedro Martinez. That's right. That's right. But <laughs> but there's a reason that Joe Torrey had a, a guy like Zimmer around just to bounce ideas off of. And I think that, you know, finding a guy like that, um, who's, again, like you said, Scott, maybe has experience outside of the, the Dick Bennett coaching tree um, could be a value to Tony. So we'll see. There's going to be a lot of guys in town this weekend. Um, he probably, I'm sure Tony will, you know, chat with a few of them just to get some thoughts and see if they have any ideas, uh, and any contacts and any, any suggestions like that. So it'll uh, be interesting. That position will probably be filled before, uh, the end of June, because that's right now, once school, I think school is, I think they're starting exams now. And I think graduation is next Sunday. Or the Sunday after, maybe? It's probably the Sunday after, if I remember. My, my graduation date was around May 22nd. So okay, so it's next that. Sunday's the mother, Mother's Day. So it would be the yeah. following Sunday. Yeah. So it yeah. would be the uh, 21st. They just finished classes this week, right? Like yeah. on Tuesday? Yeah. So they're in reading days now. Um, they're in, they'll are they be in final exams starting probably Saturday and going through next week. So, yeah, it'll be the following week after that. Yeah. Um, and then the players go home. They get a summer. They get a little bit of a summer. And then most of them will be coming back towards the middle of June. So uh, they can get enrolled in what's considered the second session of summer. Uh-huh, uh-huh. And once they're if they're enrolled, then they can be on then they can be on grounds and be in dorms and things like that. Yeah, that'll be helpful. Um, so I I look for a new coach to be on staff or an announcement by that second summer session, which would be about the twentieth of June. Okay, that that makes sense. That's that's good insight insight into how that process will probably work. Because uh, you do want the coach to have the summer with them. Yes, and you want yeah, you want them to get acclimated, everybody get to meet and, and get to know the new coach and that kind of thing. So or new coaches as the case may be, because there, there are a couple of positions open, as you mentioned. But but going way back, you asked me, I'm 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 bullish too on Tony and the program because I think Tony's system is going to always keep us in games. 
And if you can stay in games and you can win a lot of games defensively, then, uh, you know, you just try to keep some of them close. And the other thing is that looking around the ACC, other than Duke, I don't, did you see anybody that got that, that is getting significantly better? No, but you know, I, I've had my nose so much into Virginia that I, I don't know that I've looked around too much. I mean, Carolina had some guys leave Caleb Love left. I'm not sure if that's not addition by subtraction though. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, and even Duke is an, just another influx of young guys and that takes a while to, to play out and, you know, that, but then again, kind of <laughs> the way basketball is working, it plays out for everybody that way. So no, it, it'll be, it'll be the kind of thing where we have to have some, some time to analyze those other rosters. It, 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 we don't, we don't have the ability to say, you know, the, these guys are coming back and they're adding this, this freshman and that kind of thing, because everybody loses three or four or five or six guys. Um, Miami has money to spend. They're also losing Isaiah Wong. Uh, they may be losing Nigel Pack. I'm not sure about the situation there with him, but you know, uh, Carolina gets Baycott back. They lose love. Duke has an influx of new guys. Pitt and Wake are going to reload. Uh, Louisville can't be as bad as last year. Uh, there's my expert opinion. <laughs> yeah, and you know, the, the 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 flip side of roster turnover is Miami obviously brought in a bunch of great one-year players. And but you have to think about chemistry. Yeah. yeah. And maybe the chemistry doesn't, maybe you don't catch lightning in a bottle for two years in a row. Maybe the chemistry for when you're bringing a whole bunch of players together, like Pitt did, maybe the next time you try to do it, it doesn't work. That is the problem. I mean, and actually give Miami credit. They, they struggled both regular seasons a little bit more, more of the previous season, but they made the elite eight last year and final four this year. So um, Larry Nega has proven to be pretty good at, at, at mixing those guys in the one thing about it, Scott, that I, that Virginia, Virginia's advantage always was, all right, we got four-year guys, and we keep guys here, and they learn the system, and they play, and that kind of thing. We're we're losing that advantage. Um, and so now Tony's got to adjust a little bit, and that's the only question mark, I think, for him the next few years is how he adjusts in that sense because, you know, notoriously his pack line defense and his his style of offense, the mover blocker, which is a very intricate uh, offense um, uh, with, with uh, you know, the the – the the screening action and you have to really play it precise and you get better at it the more you play it um it asks a lot of players and it's really hard to pick up that first year so you know um he integrated some guys this year it worked fine two years ago we had an nit team so kind of like you were saying there scott um some years you can catch lightning in a bottle some years maybe not um but tony's advantage used to be that he had those guys around for a while we kind of we're, we're losing that like everybody else has lost it yeah, you know, Chris, and and going back again, that's another thing I really believe is a key component um, towards who you bring in as an assistant. Yeah, yeah, someone that's been to other because you're bringing in other than freshmen, the, the high school recruits, you're bringing in transfer portal kids that's played in other conferences. Yeah, for other coaches. Yeah, um, a, a savvy experience. Uh, uh, assistant coach that can get in these kids' heads a little quicker, maybe a little quicker, not not necessarily better, but just to kind of feel get a feel for them as to where they're coming from and what they're used to and how they're act, going to acclimate them into the Virginia program. I think that's making it, you know, getting back to the assistant coach position. I think that's another key 
component in making sure that 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 coach has some experience outside of, like you said, outside of the Bennett family tree. Those who are watching on the video, because I know that there are people who also listen to our podcast, just if you were watching, you saw a big smile on my face because, yes, um, we're not going to name any names. We are advocating for a certain person, and I want to leave it at that. Um, we have an idea who we would like to see get that job. Um, and I'll, I'll, I'll end the podcast with this, uh, Scott, without uh, certainly giving anything away, Scott's going to be having dinner with, with someone, uh, of that, uh, of those qualifications, uh, this evening. So, um, I haven't given anything away there, Scott, but, uh, yeah, <laughs> we'll just see what happens here in the next few well, weeks. Well, right? you know, to me, it, it, I, I'm sure coach, whether he, ele- you know, there's a possibility of elevating Isaiah. That's awesome. Because Isaiah is, uh, and you're not having dinner with Isaiah. I'll just say no, that. no. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but I really believe that 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 coach is going to find someone, uh, bring someone on that that can help this new this new era that we're in to yeah. transition some of these players a little quicker. You know, I'm um, I'm all for it. And uh, hey, this has been a good podcast, really really solid podcast. We ended up not talking any baseball, but read Scott's story about the the Baltimore Orioles and the Norfolk Tides, uh, the AAA team of the O's. Um, well, Chris, one thing, one quick thing. You haven't have, been waiting. If you don't, I'll probably put one up. Richmond just signed a new deal. City of Richmond getting a new stadium 2026. I still got to jump on that. Yeah. Uh, and it looks like from what I'm reading that, that, that the Nationals have just been waiting for a commitment that the Nationals could be moving their AAA team to Richmond. That would be awesome to have the Orioles – Triple A team in Norfolk, the, the Washington's Triple A team in Richmond. Man, that is some exciting times. We, as baseball fans, yes, those will be really exciting. We'll have to follow up on that, no doubt. Well, Scott, thank you for your time. For our listeners out there, viewers out there, thank you for yours. We will talk to you again soon.